it is the pink elephant theory. If the guest wants a pink elephant, get them a pink elephant. If you can't find a pink elephant, get a horse, paint it pink, convince the guest that's an elephant. Do whatever it takes to ensure they're happy. That's it. Are they happy? We are back. Chris Adams here with you on the Pink Elephant Podcast. Today, we've got Nick Dinatelli with us. Nick, thanks so much for joining the show, man. Thanks, Chris. Excited to be here. So, you know, you've got Shipplug. That is your company. And I, um, as I was doing my homework and, and really understanding this, I have a, a million questions for you on, on putting all the pieces of this puzzle together. But if you want to give just a snapshot, kind of a, the elevator pitch of what exactly Shipplug is for everyone that's watching or listening now. Yeah, we're a software company where we've automated the hard things about shipping uh, in the parcel business. So meaning filing claims. If you have a damaged package, it's hard to track that to see where you're at and, and getting that refunded. Filing for late shipment refunds. Most people don't even know that UPS and FedEx, DHL offer guarantees on their shipments. If they do, it's a hassle to fi file for it. And then more and more importantly, cost becomes an issue. With the carriers advertising a 5.9% rate increase almost every year, but in actuality raising sometimes 10, 20%, depending on the company's product, it's so hard for businesses of all sizes, all types to manage their cost. And in some given times when you don't have a product that, you know, Chris, everybody wishes they had a high volume product at a thousand percent margin. That's not realistic. Most companies are fighting, you know, single digit margins. And if shipping is a big cost for you, making sure that you understand what you're paying and then also that you have the best shipping rate can make or break a company. And it's honestly, it's beyond true and not something i think we think about all the time i mean that that's a huge piece and, and a gap you just said some stuff there i didn't even realize of the guarantees and all these things so i mean that's right most people don't know and you know so if you don't know imagine how many other people don't know and then if they do is seven bucks worth it for a package is 20 bucks worth it it might take me 20 minutes to do so yeah. Yeah, that's definitely it. And you're fighting nowadays for the lowest cost in a lot of situations, especially in the e-commerce space. Yeah, well, that's for sure. So how did you get to this point? So were you in this business previously, I assume? Yeah, I worked at FedEx for 12 years prior. Uh, got a chance to move around the country for six promotions. So got a chance to sell at the smallest customer level all the way up to our largest customers. So saw different sides of the business from the domestic side to the international side. And what I found is no matter how large or how small the customer was, truly understanding your cost became almost impossible with the rate increases, with the demand surcharges, with how convoluted the invoicing is. It became impossible for customers of all sizes. You know, it's impressive that you actually looked while working for FedEx, you really took the approach of putting yourself in, in the position of the customer and, and feeling what they feel to then take this stance to say, okay, wait a second, I work here, but my customer is feeling this. How do we, how do we find, how do we close that gap? And I mean, that's a, that, that's a pretty cool thing that you were able to do. Um, 
to put yourself in that position to even see that. I mean, most people probably wouldn't think of it from the customer's perspective like that. Well, I think what would happen is you have such close relationships with your customers that they are very quick to point out when they feel something should be changed. <laughs> so as you have those relationships, when you constantly hear the same pain points over and over, customer by customer, like I mentioned, no matter the size, it becomes pretty transparent on what's needed in the marketplace. Now, yeah. now right, when, when you have thousands of customers that I had a chance to work with and it's very consistent, that's that is what sparked to start the company. When we've had customers that were $5 million shippers paying more than a $150,000 customer, we've had $10,000 shippers have their pricing agreement completely dialed in and $50 million shippers have no idea what they're paying. So that, that was what was always eye-opening to me. Wow. So, you know, making the decision to leave FedEx and, and start this, how did that process go? Because obviously there's the, okay, I see a, I see a void here. I see something that needs to be fixed. And then you have to kind of go through, how do I do that? And then you have to make the decision to actually physically leave this, you know, great job that you have in, in theory. How did that process go? Did you start working on the software first? Did you say, you know what, I'm taking a leap of faith and I'll figure it out? Well, how did that, how did that play out? I, I was all in. I just went for a leap of faith. So I started working on the software when I left FedEx. I started going after the customers when I left FedEx. Now, the reason why is I truly love FedEx is a company. It changed my life. Some, a lot of my best friends worked there, worked, did work there, do still work there. So I love the company. So while I was there, I was going all out in sales. Then when I left the company, I quickly worked to find a developer. I had recruited my old admin to come work for us and, and she left almost day one. And then we started building the software. Now, fortunately at FedEx, you know, through the multiple motions, I was willing to risk my life salary because I truly believed in what we were doing. Through those countless conversations I've had with customer complaints about the claims process, about filing for refunds and ultimately the cost, I knew that we had an appetite in the market. It was just a matter of if we could execute it. But when you leave, something that's going so well, right? Six promotions in 12 years, there's always a risk. But if you don't believe in yourself, you should never start a company. You have to have the utmost belief because things go wrong so many times. You have to have that belief to keep, keep going forward um, and take the punches. That's, that's what I had. And I've always been an entrepreneur at heart, even though I did start working at FedEx for 12 years. Man, I think we could probably sit for an hour just talking about that piece right there that says when when an individual decides that, that you know, I'm going to become an entrepreneur, I'm going to start a business, um, you know, that's that's always exciting. That's that honeymoon phase of, of oh, my God, I'm going to create something. And you have this, you know, I'm sure the mindset of it's going to blow up and everything's going to work out. And, you know, um, and then the reality of the process starts to set in. And that's when you see most people start to, to fall off, start to bail from the commitment of it. And that's when you really can, can pick apart those that 
take that leap of faith and truly are just all in versus, hey, I've, I've got an idea, but I'm not completely committed to it, right? I had somebody recently literally asked me, they had this idea and they wanted to partner with us on it. And I went and I said, my response was done. Let's do it. When can you start next week? And their response is, well, you know, I need to make sure that first my kids need to graduate and then I'm going to this. And I was like, then I'm out. And they kind of looked at me. What do you mean? I was like, because you're not really committed to it. You want everything to work out perfectly and you want to have everything situated and you want to make sure this is. And that's not how this game is played, because that tells me the minute something tough happens, you're out. And so I love to hear your you were just all in no matter what. Absolutely. I, I mean, I had no plan B. So I had my life savings. I put it into the company. I hired people. I hired developers. I had a sell. And at first, you know, I, I have a lot of cousins, friends who they want to start their company. They're like, oh, I just, <laughs> I don't want to work the nine to five. I don't want to work for someone. Well, then I have friends that see how I work and it's more of a five to nine, especially at first, right? You're the bookkeeper, you're the admin, you're the salesperson, you're the developer, you're everything in the company. So coming from FedEx where everything was set up, there were so many times it, I, it's hard to know what you don't know, right? I came from 12 years of everything being perfectly run to now getting in the weeds, setting up the bank accounts, insurance, all of that is, you know, you, you don't think about those things when you're initially going to start a company. Now, I will say hiring people right away to do things that you're not good at is a benefit. If, if you're extremely good at, at sales or, or maybe you're not good at sales, so you hire a salesperson because you're the developer of it. Maybe you're very organized, so you need to hire someone that's more creative. I think yep. knowing that early on, and hopefully, you know, ideally money does help to start a company. So if you have enough savings, hiring those people early on really helped us scale fast. Yeah. How, before I jump, I have, I got to tell you, you said something that jumped out to me. It said you, you, uh, your admin left basically immediately when you said, Hey, I'm going to do this. You obviously with your admin and they bounced immediately with you. And yeah. I think that speaks completely to leadership and the fact that, um, you were doing something really right. And your admin was like, Hey, if you're doing this, I believe in what you're doing. I don't, I might not understand it. I don't need to, cause I believe in you. And I think that's a, um, that's a huge piece of when we talk about culture and what you're establishing as you build your brand. Um, you had that from day one, bringing somebody over with you that was willing to, to take that leap of faith alongside you. Right. But I think that only comes if you have the trust factor, mm -hmm. right? This particular person has two kids and a husband and she, she needs to work. So she trusted, though, that we were going to be able to work together because she knew that I cared about her. I would never. If I didn't believe 100%, I wouldn't have quit the company, and she knows that. So, so she had that same feeling, but I think that all comes through trust. Like I trust her more than anyone, and she trusts me the same. So I think that's what leadership's. You, as a leader, that's the most important thing. Nobody cares what you know until they know you care. Because if people know that you care about them, 
They know how hard you're willing to work, how hard you're willing to fight for them, and they're going to reciprocate it 10 times over. Yep. So that's more. as a leader, that's the most important thing is to develop trust. Couldn't agree more. And how long did it take you to, to develop the software? So from the time that you, you left, you knew what your plan was and that development process until you had a tangible product to hand over to, you know, future potential clients. What, how, what was that time frame? Well, we got it up and running relatively quickly, but it's always a work in progress. If I looked at mm -hmm. the software now, I would be embarrassed of where it was. And I'm still embarrassed of where it is. Now, I think that's any software company. If you have it perfect, you launch too late, right? Every founder in Silicon Valley, the, the method is go fast and break things. If you're not embarrassed by your software product, you don't care enough about it. Now, do I know current day it's better than our competition? Absolutely. It's night and day different than what our competitors do. And it is one of our key advantages. But we didn't just hire someone as a project base. We hired seven developers before we had one salesperson. So we believe that the technology side is the only way to keep up with the FedEx, the UPS pricing because of how quickly it changes. Our competitors advertise that they hire pricing analysts, that they hire FedEx sales reps. That's good, but when FedEx changes the pricing seven times in one year, some surcharges over a five-year time frame more than 50%. How could somebody remember 220 different surcharges? Not one person could. So what we had to really build out was making the software smart enough to remember the best pricing that we've ever seen. That's the biggest difference. Then as things change in the marketplace, we can easily point that out to customers to help them understand what they could be paying for shipping. That's phenomenal. The fact that, and, you know, I'll, the industry that, you know, we're primarily in struggles heavily in the technology um, side of things. And we're focusing a huge amount of attention around that right now because of exactly what you're talking about. Um, the fact that you found a way to use technology that didn't take away the human side, it just made it better. Um, and how much, how much do you still work alongside? So like the, the FedEx UPSs and, and all the world, do you, do you work with them in any way? Do they look at you as the, they can't stand that you're there because you're, you're costing them money. How is that? Do you have a relationship with them? We don't meet with the carriers directly. We work with our customers who meet with FedEx, UPS, the carriers. They own that relationship. We just provide them the data to make the best decision, whether it's we track the service of all the carriers. A lot of our healthcare companies want to know state by state, country by country, who really performs the best. Yeah, so Most of our customers really want to understand the cost. So we work with the customers to arm them with data so that they can then better negotiate with the carrier. Then on top of that, we, we do integrate with the FedEx, with UPS, as far as EDI billing to help audit customers' invoices and then ultimately file for refunds for late shipments or file claims. So we do communicate through an automation standpoint, but not in a physical standpoint. Got it, makes sense. Um, what are you seeing as, and that, you know, 
that industry where you've got your, your big ones, right? You've got FedEx, UPS, DHL, and then USPS, I guess, right? So are you seeing that industry continue to shift and evolve as e-commerce has become, I mean, that's the only way people shop nowadays. They don't even go to stores. How are you seeing those companies have to adjust to that? Well, being that e-commerce is outpacing almost every segment, the companies have adjusted. You could start with FedEx, where most recently they're moving into a single delivery and pickup model, where in the past it uh, FedEx residents, they, they would have separate networks. So you could have an express driver who typically handles overnight, two-day packages, make a delivery to a house. You can have a FedEx ground driver who, who that, that's meant to be the slow business-to-business driver. You could have a FedEx freight. So imagine someone orders a piece of furniture to the house, delivered to the house. You could then have a FedEx home delivery, which is the intended driver to bring the package deliver. So that's four. And then in some cases, the post office would make a delivery on behalf of FedEx. That's five deliveries. How could a company that that's how they were built? How could they now keep that going financially? Right. It doesn't make sense. Five deliveries to one house. And that's happened. Yeah. So what they've done is invested in technology to help optimize that, where they're going into single driver, single delivery to a residence. Now, I think both UPS, they already had the single driver, right? Now, what UPS is investing in is building the network to make it faster. UPS uses the rail to move most of their ground package. Now, they have a bigger one and two-day reach to make the delivery faster, so both carriers, and then UPS ultimately is trying to make the final mile in five days to compete with FedEx. Now, both carriers ultimately to adjust to the residential delivery, all companies base this off Amazon, right? You see the big third party company now has the most volume where the two-day shipping is pretty normal. It's now moving to next day is the expectation for free. So that's what UPS has to compete with. Now, you mentioned DHL. They're more of an international carrier. Yeah. Their express service does not have a domestic network. Now, they partner and they do some delivery share model with the post office for their DHL e-commerce. Now, that's low weight, low volume. That's, that's meant for the final delivery of the post office. But what you're seeing these carriers do is to try to get to the customer faster and at a lower cost. Now, I think what has also shifted, especially during COVID, because it was, like we mentioned, huge uptick in e-commerce, you're seeing a lot of DoorDashes, Uber Eats, a bunch of USPS share model customers popping yeah. or shippers popping up. They really, the large customers now have a good chance to diversify. And that's why I think the pricing has swung in the direction of the shipper instead of the carriers in the past. You know, you brought up something and I didn't really think about it. So when I look at, and you can explain this for me, is, you know, Amazon, perfect example of everyone orders from Amazon now. And, you know, an Amazon truck shows up and hands me my products. 
that means that they're taking that away from the FedExes and the UPSs because they're doing it themselves. Is that correct? Yes, but for the most part, they're just getting into shipping other items that aren't sold on Amazon. So really what that is, is that's their box. Some of that still does move with the post office. Some of that still does move with UPS. FedEx parted ways with Amazon years ago. So none of that was FedEx volume. But what Amazon is doing is they have so much e-commerce volume from orders that they're actually outpacing UPS and FedEx combined in the final mile delivery. Now that is their orders. So FedEx and UPS are partnering more with the brands, more with they want to partner with Walmart. That's their largest customer. So, so they're partnering more with the brands where if I buy my Kobe Bryant painting or my Steph Curry painting, it's going to come with FedEx and UPS and very unlikely than Amazon. Amazon's handling, those are going to be FBA orders, meaning fulfillment by Amazon. And, and how they, they source those prime orders is they put them in their warehouse where they can make the final mile almost the next day because they have so much volume compared to even all the other brands combined. Wow. I mean, I guess when you start really thinking of how that all breaks down, I mean, it starts eating into each other's, their money, you know, how the more things that Amazon keeps putting in their warehouse for that final mile means that's things that FedEx or UPS or whatever is not able to do, which is dollars out of their pocket, essentially. Yeah, and Amazon is now getting into the business and markets where they're selling to brands where, hey, you don't have to give us and put this into your warehouse, but you can deliver it with Amazon. Amazon will pick it up at your warehouse and Amazon will make the final mile delivery to a residence, even though that's not sold on Amazon. So Amazon's strategy is to get really good at it using their own packages, and then they're going to attack the brand And similar to their strategy in past markets, they've shown what it is. They're going to undercut everybody in cost, right? Which will be the first time in really the last 50 years where there was another carrier in the market. The post office is not competitive with over three pound packages for the most part. So anything over three pounds, now Amazon wants in the game. So it's going to be the first time really that we've ever seen a third carrier. So again, I think this is going to be a great time to have business yeah. where you can bid out to multiple carriers. Now, Amazon would also be the first person not to do a hub and spoke network. So we'll, we'll see if their final mile strategy can, can adapt where UPS and FedEx have never been able to do it other than a hub and spoke system. So what explain that when you say hub and spoke, what does that mean? So an example, FedEx, UPS, even DHL, they're going to pick up packages, call it in Miami. And if they want to send it two day to LA, the packages from Miami are going to get picked up locally. They're going to fly to Memphis. Then the packages from New York also fly to Memphis. The packages to from Texas fly to Memphis. It's sorted in Memphis. And then your Miami package is then put on an airplane with all the packages going to to California. Well, that's not how Amazon does it. Amazon picks up all of the boxes and they're going to try to go point to point throughout 
multiple air, airlines, and then they're not going to consolidate. So current, their current model is they're really good at warehousing. They put mm-hmm. the packages close to the customers and they have it dialed in with technology on when and where the order is going to come from. Got so it. then they can show what's available and, and all their trucks are doing is going to the local warehouse in Las Vegas, picking it up and delivering it to you, Chris, at your house. Where if that's a FedEx order, it could easily be picked up in New York, New Jersey, my wherever the package is originating from where Amazon takes the packages and they break it up to multiple warehouses. Makes sense. Makes sense. You know, you brought up, and I'm curious if you're seeing, um, when you talk about the post office and how they just, I think they struggle to compete in general. Um, And I, anytime I do have to go to the post office, I think there's a, you know, you look at the age demographic of people that are more comfortable, I guess you would say with going to the post office. Are you seeing that continue to trend more and more that the, the the next generation and the younger and younger use the post office and their services less and less where it's becoming more and more obsolete? Less and less paper mail, more and more boxes, parcels, right? Because think about the post office still has a, a ground economy service, a low weight, low value option that for the small shipper, FedEx and UPS just can't compete in cost and even in most cases transit time. What's happening with the post office, they're going from being a letter network to a package network. Now, what they have at their advantage compared to the other carriers is that they deliver every day to every address and it's subsidized by the government. So they can also pick up from there. So as these small e-commerce businesses start which you would generalize would be by a younger person. They're using the post office for something much different than yes, that person that's still used to sending a letter that you're referencing that could be in, in the post office. Now there's always an exception, right? But if you're going to generalize, I think the younger demographic uses the post office more for their Shopify site, their Amazon store that they're starting. That's what's still shipped with the post office. Most companies without serious volume, the post office is still going to be the low cost carrier because it's it's subsidized by the government. So that's why that parcel business or the small box business for low weight, low value, the post office still has a very important role. Got it. That makes sense. Do you see, what do you see the next evolution is? I mean, I've seen... Um, was it Amazon or somebody has like, you know, drone dropping stuff off and like what, what's the crazy future stuff that you see is that's actually viable and a real thing that we'll start to see happen. Yeah. I I mean, definitely the drones are going to be the way to make the delivery. I think how it will work though. Again, I think it'll be more of a hub and spoke network where imagine one big truck driving to your house or your, your residence and then multiple drones pick up and deliver that package because it's still expensive with the drone to do one pack with one delivery where if you have a truck there's thousands of boxes on that truck so if you can get the drones close to the houses to make the final mile delivery that that's where i see it going now as far as you know how far is that away i still think that that's you know more than five to ten years away now, I think the trends in the short term, meaning the next 
year or two years, you're really going to see the e-commerce space for serious brands offer the same day delivery that people are looking for because you can capture so much more demand if if you need something fast and but you can't get to a store or maybe you don't drive anymore a lot of millennials yeah. aren't driving right so so you see that and you can capture perishable demand and there's more and more companies through uber GoPuff, doordash that are making that final mile from the store i actually ordered instacart for the first time for best buy yesterday it got delivered to my house within 45 minutes of me placing the order, which in all actuality was less time than I would have spent getting in my car, going to the store, finding the product, paying, getting back in my car and driving home where I placed the order and it delivered the same day. Now I needed it for work. So that's why the same day delivery captured the demand where I would have never ordered that package if the same day was an option. That's where the carriers, especially the gig economy carriers, can really help scale e-commerce in the next year or two. Makes sense. Let's shift back to to Shipplug and let's talk about um, what are you doing right now versus what you think you're going to be doing the next evolution. You said every time you look at your your software, you still, you know, you're quote unquote embarrassed by it, yet you know you're still better than everybody else. What's the next evolution of what you're going to be doing um, to continue to evolve Shipload? So right now, we all of our customers, our our smallest customers are shipping $100,000 a year. So to a business, that's actually a fairly large business. I mean, there's mom and pop shops that have $1,000 a year invoices, $10,000 a year invoices. Well, we're going to automate our software in the contract negotiation help where they don't actually have to talk to anybody so that they can take their data, upload it, will automate what they should ask the carriers as far as eligible programs that are out there. And then we can even give the small and the large customer our software to type in and see the impact on what a FedEx or a UPS pricing proposal or a post office pricing proposal would have on their business. So those two ways, we're gonna automate it for the small customer where we love to work for $10,000 a year customers because a lot of times that's where they need it the most because uh, you can really impact a small business by lowering their costs. And then the next side is just giving the software where customers can, if they get a FedEx or a UPS pricing agreement, they can find out how that truly impacts them now without even talking to anyone. It's impressive. Are you seeing as you, are you as you continue to evolve um, and you're doing more and more automation, are you increasing your team to do this or are you increasing the team on the back end on the developer side, um, but not as much? Yeah, on we're, the front end? we're true. I mean, we're ideally we we have everything automated, right? The yeah. best business in the world is if you don't have to talk to any customers. Well, we're not going to be there ever because we still think the large customer needs that supply chain consulting and they want to call someone to ask for what have you seen other customers do? What are some pointers you can make? Do you have relationships in this area or the next? But we've been ramping up the back end side of it. So we've hired met we've hired people in different countries. We've hired people in the United States and we're going to continue to scale 
in that in that model because as we can automate it more and more it becomes more and more impactful for our customers the pricing changes so often and so frequently even month to month where without automation you're not going to be able to help customers on the masses it's just yeah. too much for one person to look at. yeah have you have you found that the process of look your your background was was shipping and that was you you know the ins the outs the the verbiage that was your world and then getting into the tech space and working with developers how hard was that for you to be able to communicate what's in your head and your world into with individuals that that's not their world and you're trying to make software developers understand what your end goal is and, and letting those two things bleed together? Well, I've actually always had a passion for technology. So I started out as in accounting and being able to run formulas where if and when statements to break down data sets, we always were working to feverishly automate those things. So having that background and then having working feverishly to find the right developer, it was almost a seamless transition. Now it took the, the software is always a work in progress, but having the background on how things work with FedEx, how things work with an API, I can do some minor coding. And then having the right development team early on, it made it, it made it fairly seamless. I would recommend anybody that's starting uh, a company, a lot of times sales folks, just like myself, they'll have a good idea of things that they need to automate. I would recommend to learn the ins and outs of coding prior to starting the company. Cause there's books you can read classes you can take online that are relatively free. So I would invest some time in that side of the business. Yeah. I mean, I think nowadays as you look, I'll, I'll take our industry for instance is where you know, everyone is trying to increase revenues. Everyone's trying to increase money to the bottom line. Yet the reality on our side is we have less and less people, the human side to actually execute, which means the only way that you can deliver um, high guest expectations, yet put more money to the bottom line with less people is the ability to use technology for automation to make us highly efficient so we can still execute at a high level. Um, the guest gets a great experience. We can drive revenue, but doing it through technology. And I mean, you're, you have proven that it is absolutely the way that um, I think businesses have to look at the way they, they operate these days. Absolutely. Because yeah, I think technology, you know, relatable in the hospitality space. I choose a hotel company to consistently stay at because I can check in on my phone put my credit card on my app, skip the most painful process is checking in, right, with your bags <laughs> where it's nice just to walk to your room. And then my keyword, it lets me know when my room's ready, what room it is. That's, that, that's an example. Then from the hotel's perspective, it lowers the cost. So why would they not want everybody to do that? Because ultimately yeah. it makes it a better experience and it's cheaper for the company in the long run. Yeah, for sure. So if people want to get in touch with you, they're, they're, they're listening and they're like, oh my God, my business needs this. Um, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you, the company, learn more about what ShipPlug does to see how they can integrate it into what they're doing? 
shipplug.com. You can fill out a demo to get started. We can get we can file for refunds related shipments as soon as today. So shipplug.com, fill out a demo, or you can reach out to us at hello at shipplug.com. Man, I, I can't thank you enough for taking some time to one, educate me in an area that I had no idea. Um, everything that you're talking about makes complete and total sense. And the fact that you, you've taken that leap of faith and you're doing something outside the box, that's, um, that's making an impact for businesses. Um, I, I think you would be the first to say owning a business, being an entrepreneur, it's not easy. And, you know, we talked about it a little bit early on of like, you're going to get kicked, you're going to get knocked down. It's, it's the constant getting back up. And the fact that there's a company like yours that are helping businesses, that extra $50,000, $20,000, $10,000 sometimes is the, is the make or break on getting you to the next step and the next level. And you're the one that's out there helping companies do that. And so, uh, Kudos to you. Thank you for educating us and then providing this service for people, man. It's, it's a really cool thing that you're doing. Thanks, Chris. We appreciate it. Awesome. Everyone, thanks so much for joining us today on The Pink Elephant. I am Chris Adams. You can find me on Instagram at chrisadams.official, our website, ellisadamsgroup.com. Make sure you hit subscribe. Give us your feedback. We look forward to seeing you next week.